Good morning, church. Let's stand and let's worship together. The weapon may be formed, but it won't prosper. When the darkness falls, it won't prevail. Because God I serve knows only how to triumph. And my God will never fail. And my God will never fail. I'm going to see. I'm going to see a victory. I'm going to see a victory.
morning, good morning, Journey. We're going to continue worshiping, but I want to take a moment. We specifically set time aside just to pray. And uh, we've been in this season of and our series on joy. And the, I don't know if you know this, but that is one of the main characteristics that are meant to be part of the Christ follower's life is joy. I don't know if you'd characterize your life by joy. I certainly don't most of the time. But there's a lot of reason for that, right? Because I think most of the time we assume joy is, you know, we connect joy with silliness. People who are, you know, a lot of joyful people we deem as, you know, maybe naive, uh, unaware. Uh, they get a bad rep, but generally are far more happier than we are. So, so they're winning, if that's you. But you also may be coming in this morning with a lot of heaviness. This season can bring up all kinds of things. Uh, Psalms, I love Psalms because I, David is one of the most honest people that I know. In one, it, in, throughout his Psalms, he would write and just talk about how his heart is broken and things are overwhelming. But I love because time and time again as I read throughout the Psalms, he will follow up with a but. And that but is always, um, it is always connected to God's faithfulness. It'll always look like something like, man, my, my enemies are all around me and, and the world is dark and things are hopeless and everything is falling apart. But I put myself in your arms. I trust you, your salvation. I, I, I look to my God. And, and I think that's so beautiful because there's this balance of honesty. This morning, you may be coming in. Psalms 94, 19 says it this way. When anxiety was great within me, your, your consolation brought me joy. I'm going to read that again. Let that sink into your heart this morning. When anxiety was great within me, your consolation brought me joy. Can we pray for joy this morning? This morning, you may be coming in with your heavy stuff. You can either do this just in your heart, or if you feel comfortable, physically put your hands out to offer it to God this morning. Because I believe that open hands allow God to put something else in them. You got closed hands. It's really hard to put something new in closed hands. But you open up your hands with whatever you've got going on, God continuously replaces those things. So we're going to just pray. If you've got your needs and the things that are weighing on you right now, you can feel free to just put those out before God. And we're just going to believe for God to replace it with joy. Father, this morning, we pray for your consolation, Father. We put our needs in your hands and pray that you would replace it with joy. God, you don't fix or change all circumstances, but you bring joy despite them, in the midst of them, and you can overcome them. So Father, I pray for every person who's walked through these doors, whether they are filled with joy this morning and excited to be here or coming, burdened and heavy laden, God, I pray this morning would be, as we continue our worship, as we get in tune with you, that we would hear your victory song that it would resonate in our hearts and that we would be overcome with how good you are, how faithful. Help us to be present in this moment, to hear from you. Let there be worship that comes from our hearts. Be glorified in your name we pray. Good morning.
joy to the world, the Lord is come. Let earth receive her King. Let every heart prepare Him room. And heaven and nature sing. And heaven and nature sing.
Good morning, good morning. Y'all grab a seat, but as you do, this is my favorite thing to say. If there are empty seats in the middle of your row, please slide in. I see we're setting out some more chairs, which is an exciting thing. Welcome to everybody who's joining us today. Uh, my name is Randall, and I'm just doing a little giving message today. And if you haven't been with us over the last couple weeks, we're kind of in this season where we're talking about joy. But I don't know about you, sometimes this season maybe feels a little bit more like chaos or insanity. Getting into holidays and families in town, and maybe sometimes you don't really want family in town, or maybe you do and they can't be in town, and shopping, and it just seems a little bit chaotic. Uh, I don't know if you've been at Rancho and Tenth recently, but that's a nightmare. If you've been over to the mall, or maybe like my wife, you went Black Friday shopping. Don't know why people still do that. Just buy things online these days. But what I think is so interesting, we're in this kind of time where we're surrounded by so many people, right? I mean, we're having to get out more chairs in second service. Good job. All these people. Um, but I feel like we're called to remember that even in even in these large groups, we're called to care for people uniquely. And we're called to care for individuals uniquely. We're supposed to love our neighbors, not as a general idea, but as the literal person who lives next door to us, right? And I think that we're really, really lucky. If you guys don't know this, Journey Church is a church that loves people uniquely and loves people as individuals. And about a week ago, we hosted the Foster Teen Christmas Chill. We had over 100 kids, families, here just being loved on by this church that we're a part of and i think that's so incredible we do stuff this wednesday we'll talk about it in a second but grace resources is a local organization that provides meals and loves on people who need it the most in our community and we have an opportunity to serve this wednesday and this church regularly supports that to love on individuals and make an impact in unique lives and i think it's so important for us to remember that um, that Jesus calls for us to have that, that type of impact. It's not, not just broad brushstrokes, right? But it's individual lives that get changed because of Jesus' love for us and our love for others. Uh, so today, when we give, I just want you to recognize that we're giving to unique circumstance and we're giving for life change uh, of people as individuals. And we've changed some things. If you don't know, we didn't ghost you if you tried to give this week. We just changed it. So text JC to 45888. That's the new way to text through your mobile phone. You can still give the other two ways, online at avjourney.com or in just a moment in person with the buckets as they go through the rows. So ushers, y'all come forward. We're going to say a prayer this morning just that the church would use this money to have individual change in people's lives. Bow your heads with me. Dear Lord, thank you so much for this season. I know it's, it can be a challenging season, a tough season. It can be one that brings up memories of of lost ones who aren't with us at this point in time or of, of relationships that have been broken and haven't yet mended. And just ask that you'd be with those people who are uh, experiencing that in the holiday season. And I would ask that you be with our church staff and the decision makers of this organization that would help us use the tithes and the offerings that we're going to collect here today to further your kingdom here in the Antelope Valley locally, that we would change people's lives as a result of the love you have for us. A love so great that you sent your son for us, even though we don't deserve it. Bless those that are here this morning. Bless those that give. Bless those that can't. We just ask all this in your son's name. Amen. All right, Ptolemy is going to join me on stage. We only have a couple announcements for you this morning, so it's going to be quick. 
Good morning, good morning, Journey Church. I am Ptolemy Matthews, like Randall said, and I'll be helping with your announcements this morning. Uh, first up, if you are a fifth or a sixth grader, you are dismissed at this time. You can head towards the back of the sanctuary on my right. Your teacher is waiting for you. And now some things that are coming up here at Journey Church this week. Um, first up, as Randall talked about, Journey is serving at Grace Resources this Wednesday. That is uh, December the 18th. If you've been looking for an opportunity to give back in a practical way, give of your time, you would like to volunteer with Serve the World, then you are more than welcome to give more information to sign up at the hotspot. And from what I'm being told, we're this close to having everything covered so if you want to get in there you need to go to the hotspot and serve I mean and, and to sign up as soon as possible so once again grace resources this Wednesday yeah absolutely and then 10 days from today is some holiday if anybody knows about Christmas y'all are all ready for that right we got we got like one box just from Amazon not even wrapped under our Christmas tree so we're definitely ready well Christmas Eve is happening here at journey we're gonna do two services um, we'd love to have you come out, obviously, but also invite your friends, invite your family, invite your coworkers. We want to fill this place up. It's going to be an incredible service, an incredible night, a time where we worship together on the most important thing um, that we have, which is that God sent Jesus down for us. So if you are interested in maybe serving that night, we do want it to be a special night. So we're looking for greeters and ushers. And also, I heard we might be giving out hot chocolate, which is pretty exciting. So maybe you want to help pass out hot chocolate and warm people's hearts and bodies at the same time. You want to do that, sign up with us at the hotspot, please, before you head out today. But again, we'd love to see you Christmas Eve, two services, five and six o'clock. And I might just want to add there, if you're planning to come to one of those services, it gets crowded in here quickly. So you might want to get here a little bit early. All right. So if you are a visitor with us today, a guest for the first time, we want to say welcome. We're happy to have you. And we have a small gift for you after the service at the hot spot. Um, I'm hearing it's pretty delicious. Tastes good. Maybe sampled it. Maybe not. We'll see. <laughs> awesome. So just want to say stand up, greet somebody next to you. Warm hug. Nice, firm handshake. Thank you for being Thanks, with us today. everyone doing today? Great Sunday. It's good to see you guys. I'm, uh, I'm excited about everybody's here and uh, for everybody online. Good morning. 
I'm excited. Okay, the way I want to start today is, where, where are the I love Christmas people in the crowd? Anybody love Christmas? All right. <clears throat> and just ignore the Grinches around you. This is, this is going to be for you. But really, what I want to do real quick, I want to start today with a question. And, and the way this works is I want you to turn, when I say, when I count to three, I want you to turn and tell somebody near you the best Christmas song ever written. Just think about it for a moment. Turn to your neighbor and tell them one, two, three, best Christmas song ever written. <laughs> oh, man. First of all, I want to apologize to all of you, uh, um, all of you introverts that I made you talk in church. Forgive me. And uh, because I always hate when pastors say, turn to your neighbor and say something stupid. I hate that, but you got to do it today, so thank you. No, but here's the thing. When it comes to Christmas songs, I heard Away in the Manger. I heard Joy to the World. I heard, yeah, quite a few other ones. And here's the funny thing. I, I don't think any of those are that good. No, I'm just kidding. I, actually, I, what I think is those are great songs. But if it were, if it were me, I, one, of the, one of the songs, probably the song, this again, this is my opinion, the best Christmas song ever written. It was not written in our generation. <clears throat> As a matter of fact, it wasn't written in anybody's generation that's in this building or that's alive. It was written 2,000 years ago by a teenage girl experiencing some real traumatic stuff. And if you're familiar, the song is actually called The Magnificat. Anybody ever heard of Magnificat? Anybody? Okay, probably not. If you have, good for you. It's a song, basically that's the Latin word. It just basically means Magnificat is the Latin translation for the word magnify. It's because those are the first words of the song or the words expressed by a young lady by the name of Mary. Now, if you recall, last week we spent some time talking about Mary. We talked about Mary and just another person in the scripture. You can go back and listen to that online if you want. But we talked about what was it about them that captured God's attention? What was it about Mary? And we said that her trust in God, her complete, absolute belief that God would do what he says was one of the things that absolutely sets her apart as special in the eyes of God. And there's something else. There's something else about Mary we're going to talk about today. There's this thing about joy. We want to have joy. Joy to the world is everywhere. Again, I say it's, you see it on all the billboards. It's, on, it's in songs. It's, it's on coffee cups. I mean, it's on a pillow on my, in my living room. <clears throat> it's everywhere. But the question is, do you have it? It's funny because... Um, <laughs> Mike, buddy of mine was from, from Journey, was, um, he was walking through a department store recently, and he sent me a text, and it's a great big sign, it's a great big letters, J-O-Y, and he goes, Joy, I can buy Joy for $89.99. I'm like, you better get it, man. Get it right now, and you could share it too, but isn't that funny? Because, I mean, honestly, if we could get it for 90 bucks, I think most of us would like, I'm in. If it, if it cost me 100 bucks to get Joy, and I could keep Joy, I, I would do it. Well, the point of the matter is, the, the reason we're spending this time today talking about this story is because God wants you to experience joy, but you don't have to buy it. As a matter of fact, you can't. I know you think you can, you can buy happiness, but really, how long does happiness last when you buy it? <clears throat> Until the thing wears out, or just for a week. But what we're talking about today, I want, to, I want to talk about a song. I want to talk about a young lady. And I want to talk about an experience that I think we can all relate to that actually, if we get the concepts, if we really kind of wrestle this into <clears throat> our personal life and story, I think you're going to experience a joy of Christmas that maybe 
you may have lost. So let me tell you about the Magnificat. First of all, that I bet you didn't know, in the 1980s, this song, the Song of Mary, was outlawed in a country right here in our world. It was made absolutely forbidden to recite, to sing, or to display these words in public. It was the government of Guatemala. Now, why in the world, you would ask, would they want to make a song in the scriptures, a song of, of Mary, illegal to speak? Why, why has nobody ever banned Away in a Manger or Santa Baby or one of those, which probably somebody should have, but they haven't. So why pick on Mary's song? Because the, the government was going through this season where, and like governments do, like people in power often do, they get in a position where they feel insecure because something about their rule or their reign or their leadership is not being received well. And so people tend to take a dim view of people using their power for their own advantage or for the advantage of the upper class of those people in power and taking it from the lesser. And so what the people were afraid, what the government was afraid of was that the words in, these, in this song, the words actually <clears throat> were considered so subversive because it was thought that if people, especially downtrodden people, especially poor people, especially oppressed people, especially those who are supposed to serve the system and the people above them without question, if those people were to get word that God was actually doing a new thing, that the world was being upended and that things were being turned around, it could cause a revolt. <clears throat> so these words that were banned by government 2,000 years after they were written are the words of Mary. Let's read them together today. And, and, and we read them again. When we read stuff in the scriptures, so often it's just we, we get in that mode where we're like, oh, yeah, heard it before. Or like, yeah, that's interesting. And when, then we check out. We just go on autopilot. Let, let me just encourage you. Don't do that. When I read these words today, I want you to just picture this young teenage girl in the midst of a very trying time in her life writing the words that express deeply her heart to God. Now, here they are. <clears throat> My soul glorifies the Lord, or the other translation, magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the mighty one has done great things for me. His holy, holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. <clears throat> he has brought down rulers from their thrones. But he has lifted the humble. See, that's the part that's a little subversive, a little scary right there. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped us <clears throat> this is serve Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. So this is the first Christmas carol ever written. This is the first Christmas song. This is the best Christmas song, in my opinion, that it was ever written. <clears throat> what I find so interesting is that we as humans, we connect with music in a way we don't connect with some other means of communication. As a matter of fact, I mean, if, if, you, if I were to ask and, and you were a person who's dated somebody, um, there's a possibility that you, if you were in a long-term relationship, that you might have your song or a set of songs that... When you hear them, it immediately brings you back to that moment in time. That's why some of you Grinches don't like Christmas music. 
It's not because you have a heart too small. It's because there is a link in that song, that tune, that, that brings you right back to an experience, a moment, or something in your life that is a little less desirous, a little less happy. It, it actually may bring you back to a specific place in time, an event, a surrounding, a feeling, a sense that you had that was just not good. And that's true. I mean, I was recently, somebody had a radio on where, somewhere I went, and it was blasting some really good tunes. And I'm, I'm not talking about oldies. Oldies are like 50s music, right? When you're my age. Okay, oldies, I know, some of you oldies are like, yeah, but 2001, they're oldies, you know. Forget you, you know. Go back to preschool. But anyway, this... <clears throat> Now, we all have things that we consider, but this song, they were blasting. I mean, they are playing some great rock and tunes, Journey and the Eagles, and I was listening to Chicago. I'm like, yeah, good music. And, and I was like, man, why don't we make stuff like this anymore? Anyway, just saying that it immediately took me back to a season in my life. And you hear s- songs, and it's like, man, it just anchors because it seems like, it seems like the way that the human soul was con- he's kind, of, uh, kind of built or conceived is that we use music as a means of expressing the deepest parts of ourselves. Even if you're not a musical, if you can't carry a tune, I mean, there are songs that will come on and you're in such a state of mind, in such a moment of personal experience that if you're alone, I mean, you just either want to cry out and sing with it or you just want to bawl. It just it can move you. Music can move you. And I, I just think that that's a really interesting thing. <clears throat> so when we look at a song from Mary... It's a moment where she has literally been anchored into some stuff and experiences in her life, and she wants to express it with this just outburst. And we call it a song. It may have been more of a cry. It may have been more just like her voice was at a high pitch because she was just expressing all that deep stuff that was inside of her. She was just telling God how much she appreciates everything he has done, is doing, and is about to do. She couldn't hold it in. So Mary, this is the thing about it. This is what's so powerful. Mary chose to focus all of those feelings on this one thing, magnifying or zooming in on God's goodness, zooming in on God's goodness. Who knows how easy it is to zoom in on problems and magnify the negative. So this past week, and, and, and I know, don't judge me. I tell you stuff from my own life just because if, if honestly, if it doesn't work for me, then I don't understand it yet. I'm going to go back. But when, when, it starts to, when I start getting a hold of some of these concepts and it starts changing my life, I want to share them. The good, the bad, and the ugly. So this past week, some of you also know that I'm not... God has been working with me for decades, okay, 50 plus years, on patience. Patience, the whole concept, is traveling at the pace of others. And I hate it. I just like, everybody else's pace is just a little too slow. So I'm just like always in a hurry, always. And, and so we get the situation where for whatever reason, um, I, I think it's personal, but maybe it's not. We don't get deliveries from the United States Postal Service to our home. <clears throat> I'm just going to call them out. It's just, and if you work for them, I'm sorry. And talk to your boss. I don't know what's going on with your office, but they won't go up. We, we're on a dirt road. And so our house is like three quarters of a mile from the nearest uh, get large postal box thing, right? Three quarters of a mile. So less than, less than a mile. And for whatever reason, if it doesn't fit, and of course we all have those little letter boxes, you know, that, that are like this, this big. And if it doesn't fit in that, 
Then it gets to put in one of their other boxes, which all 2,700 people are sharing. So there's like two of those size boxes for all the you know, ginormous amount of people. And so if it doesn't fit in your little box and it's already taken by somebody else's stuff, which everything is this time of year, then guess what? You don't get it delivered to your door if you order Amazon Prime, which is the whole point of Amazon Prime. You get it taken to the mail station, to the hub. And so what would, what would seem like, for a rational person such as myself, a really ridiculous thing, that this person will not drive three minutes out of their way, so I have to take an hour and a half off work and drive to the postal office. They won't drive 7.5 tenths of a mile, so I have to drive 600 miles. Okay, exaggerate, maybe a little bit. But <clears throat> I literally have to drive 20 minutes to and from, or 15 minutes to and from, the post office, I have to stand in line, and I, I kid you not, it is, it is like the tiniest, it's like this humongous counter with one person working for 600 people in line, and that you have to come in, and it's never any room because there's already so many people in there, so the line goes out the door, and people are waiting for their packages. They're bringing in those little slips. And I remember I was this past week, so Friday, we had ordered my grandson something. He's in the room, so I can't, oh, he's gone now. Okay. <clears throat> He's two, so he wouldn't know anyway. But it, we ordered him some, and it was so, I was like so excited to get it for him because, you know, it's something that I think is pretty cool. And I'm like going to get it. And so we, we got a slip. We got notice that the package had been taken, or we thought, <clears throat> we have like 50 of them, that they've been taken to the post office. So we went, and we were on our way. So we were in such a hurry on Friday because that's the day that we are spending at, working on Chase's house. My son Chase is renovating the house. They're trying to get in before Christmas. So we're working like fast as we can, hard as we can to get it done. And, and it's like, man, we had so much to get done this day. Well, I end up having to go to the post office because I got the truck to get all our packages. I get there, and the line, of course, is all the way around the counter. It's out the door, and there's one person who's not even to be seen. And for the first three to five minutes, nobody comes to the counter. And we're just waiting. Finally, somebody comes in and says, yeah, okay, we don't, I can't find it, and, you know, sorry. And they have this big, long conversation. And all the rest of us, the, the whole line of people just standing there. And, and believe me, these are wonderful people. They're trying hard, the people in line, I'm saying. They're trying hard <laughs> to keep their patience. <clears throat> no, I'm, everybody who works there, I have a buddy, I was just talking to him between services, who works for them. And he's like, I don't get it. They're supposed to deliver, but whatever. We just stood there and stood there and stood there. Chase was waiting in the truck. After about 20 minutes, he comes in, like, <laughs> looking at me like, hey, what's going on? And I had moved maybe two people. And I was like, I literally felt myself just starting to go like, oh, this is why people go postal, you know. <laughs> I'm like, please do something, somebody. And I started clearing my throat and hoping that somebody would come out and somebody would start helping us. And I, I literally feel like, do I scream? Do I say, do I, you know, what, how do I make something work here? It isn't working. And I get very upset when things aren't working right. And so I just stood there. And honestly... Within 30, 40 minutes, whatever it took me to finally get to the front of the line and finally get my packages and finally get on the road, I mean, I was so frustrated. And we found out that they, in fact, didn't even bother to tell us that we had this one package. For whatever reason, they just, I don't know, just decided to send it back to Amazon all by themselves without telling us, without consulting us. They didn't tell us, come try and pick it up. They just turned around and sent it back because they, I don't know. So here I am, my grandson's not going to get his present from me, this, the, the best thing that I wanted to get this Christmas because of this mess up. I'm frustrated. And so I'm getting in the car, and Chase has helped me get all the boxes and put everything in, and everybody else delivers, UPS, you know, FedEx, and DHS, everybody, it's 
Grubhub, I mean, you name it. Pizza Hut, everybody else delivers to my house but them. So I'm like angry. I'm like, why doesn't the system work? I hate our government. And I know a lot of my friends and even family work for the government, so nothing personal. You're doing your best. It's, a, it's just a system thing. Honestly, but I'm like, no patience for anybody at this moment. I'm like, I don't, I'm so frustrated. Pay all these taxes, put all this in, and then I'm riding down roads and, you know, I'm like, where's all the money going? You wanted lottery so we could put schools and roads back in condition, and that money evaporated. So you put a new tax, and that money evaporated. So you put another tax, that money evaporated. And still, schools are broken, roads are a mess. So I'm like, what is going on? As I'm driving down the road, I'm thinking, joy to the world. The Lord is come. And I'm thinking, I'm preaching Sunday about joy. And my poor son is sitting there like, I don't, I don't dare say a thing. My dad's in one of those moods. <clears throat> thinking, where, where do I go to get joy right now? Where, where do I find it? When, when I literally am losing my mind, I, I can literally feel my hair just kind of with my blood pressure. I'm like, <clears throat> where, where do I go when I just don't feel like the circumstances of my life are in any way joyful? And that's when I came back to where we're going this, this morning. Folks, there is, there is a resource. There's kind of like a cistern. There's, there's kind of like a well of available power, joy, that can transform our day-to-day experience. And this Christmas, somebody needs this. So, so here's the thing. When we magnify our circumstances, when we magnify our, our surroundings, when we magnify what's going on in our story, when we put the magnifying glass on the wrong thing, it destroys our joy. So today, let's take a look at Mary's story again and just discover how do we keep joy in stressful times? How do we experience joy when our circumstances are anything but joyful? <clears throat> so last week, we told you about Mary. Mary was a teenage girl. She was single. She was somewhere between 12 and 18 years of age when she was betrothed to a guy named Joseph. He was probably a little older, and he was uh, going to prepare a place for her so he could come and receive her, and they would be married, and the marriage would be consummated. They would go live happily ever after. But in this story, this teenage girl between 12 and 18 is interrupted in her normal daily life by a visit from an angel, Gabriel. The one who stands in the very presence of God tells her, you have been chosen. You are highly favored by God. God has seen something in you, and he's going to bring you a son. You're going to call him Jesus. He's, going to, he's literally going to be the Messiah, the promise, when he is going to be the son of God. Tells her how it's going to happen and all that kind of stuff. What we discovered about Mary, was Mary joyful? Did Mary sing these songs? Did Mary gain God's favor because she had everything perfect, because all her circumstances were just good, and everything was smooth sailing for her life? No. Opposite, just in fact. Just if you think about her situation, she had, she had lots of problems. He was poor. He was engaged to be married to somebody her parents decided most likely who she should marry instead of just picking somebody that she really wanted. And now she's going to be pregnant. Mary's, she's like 12 to 18 years old. She's single. She's not in a good situation. She's not from a great town. And not only that, when she sang all about God bringing down rulers and thrones and changing everything. Here's what she was referring to, the behind-the-scenes story. Mary sang her song under the rule and reign of a guy named Herod, King Herod, as we know him. As a matter of fact, Herod the Great was what they referred to him as, and I think what I read in some historians believe that he gave himself that name and promoted himself as Herod the Great. 
So just name yourself whatever you want. <clears throat> there is a lot written about this guy by a Jewish historian named Josephus and others. What we find is that King Herod had been given the name King of the Jews because of the place that he reigned and ruled and because of the people that he was to watch over. And it was given to him 30 years former or prior by the Roman Senate. And he had to fight for that title. He wanted that title and he knew how to get what he wanted. So this was a guy who was so power hungry. I mean, this was a guy who was always after more, 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 more of everything. And he knew how the world worked. He knew how power operated. He knew how to put himself in just the right place at just the right time to get the thing he wanted. So what, the way that he came to power in the first place is that Herod hitched his wagon to a rising star by the name of Julius Caesar, who was then come to power. But when Caesar was assassinated, Herod the Great was able to convince Mark Antony that he was actually in his on his team the whole time. Oh, no, it wasn't Caesar. It was you. I, I'm on your team. And so then he became a powerhouse under Mark Antony. And then, of course, when Mark Antony was overthrown, then Caesar Augustus came to power. Then he was able to convince Caesar Augustus, oh, no, I wasn't with the other two guys. I'm with you. I'm on your team the whole time. And it worked. He gained power and esteem and great wealth. Not only that, but he married multiple times. As a matter of fact, scholars say between 10 and 12 times he married because in each one of them was typically for advantage to himself. He knew how to get power. He knew how to get money. He wanted to get influence. And he used even his own marriage to people to gain it. <clears throat> Politically motivated. All about getting power and keeping it. So the only problem was he didn't, from what historians say, he didn't really love any of his wives except for one a girl named Miriam. And she was a beautiful lady. He was kind of obsessive about her. She bore him five children in seven years. But, and by the way, he had 43 children, thereabouts, <clears throat> through his 12, through his 10 wives, 10 to 12. And basically what we find is he didn't trust his best wife. The most uh, loved of all the women he married and he couldn't trust her. So it got to the point where he had her executed just to make sure she wasn't trying to somehow subvert his authority or do something he didn't like. This wasn't enough. He didn't trust Miriam's mom because Miriam loved, you know, loved her mom, so he had her mom killed. He had two of his brothers-in-law executed because he couldn't trust them. He was so concerned about losing his power that even his first two sons, born to him by his, his one love, Miriam, they were getting a little older, and he could see ambition in them. So he had both of them smothered to death so they wouldn't rise up and want to take his throne. His barber stuck up for the two sons, stuck up for him, and so he murdered the barber. Um, on his deathbed, Herod actually took one of his other oldest sons, and he had him thrown in prison. And this was five days before he finally died. And he has his son executed because he thought, he looks to me like he would be trying for my throne as well. Herod wanted to be known for somebody great, and he wanted his name to live on for the rest of time, so he built things, built a lot of things. And one of the things that he built, and this is one of the things that caused tension in the first century Christian world or the Jewish world, because he built, he rebuilt the temple. After it had been destroyed, he comes in and he rebuilds the Jewish temple, and he names it after himself. He names it the temple, of course, of Herod, <clears throat> Herod's temple. And he built it on the backs of the poor. He built it on the backs of the most needy in society. He crushed the poor, his policies, his taxation, everything. It crippled the, the underclass. 
So that's a glimpse into the political world that Mary was living with when she was the teenage girl who was visited by Gabriel. Then there were the spiritual and religious realities. Mary came up in the Hebrew system of belief, in the way, the, the way of Jehovah, uh, Jehovah, Yahweh. The one true God they believed was the God who came and it, it, it introduced himself to numerous people throughout the years. And he'd actually given Moses a whole manuscript of how they were to live. And we call it the Mosaic Law. And they are our forefathers as Christ followers. We are literally connected directly to just the continuation of the story that they were in and telling. And this is what happened. In their story, in their experience, if anybody had sex outside of marriage, and I don't care if you were engaged, I don't care, but we're in love, I don't care if it's like nobody had any right to a sexual intimacy with another human being. You didn't get to experience to share that person's soul at that level unless you were promised to them. It was a command God gave. still stands, and he was basically saying, listen, if anybody does this, they have violated my greatest trust to you, and they deserve death. So it was literally in the law of Moses that a person who did such a thing, committed you know, fornication if you weren't married, or adultery if you were married and had sex with somebody else, they would die. And very least in her generation, they would bring shame to the family. Somebody would be dishonored in such a way that she wouldn't show her face in public. The whole time she would be hidden away while she was in, you know, pregnant, and she would be ostracized when she brought that child in and treated like second class into society. So here's Mary finding out she was going to be pregnant before the wedding. And in spite of anything she could say or do, this was going to happen. And in spite of anything anybody else could say or do, she chose joy. She decided to be joyful. In spite of Mary's circumstances, no status, resources, no way to explain. Yeah, I'm pregnant. No, really, it was God. No, I'm serious. Joseph and I have not been. No, we haven't. It was God. Even in spite of all that. Mary comes through with the most incredible heart of joy we find in scripture. And I'm going to give you just three of the reasons I find as we get, as we move along. First, it was about her humble spirit. Mary had this humble sense about her and humble. When people think humble, they think weak. They think somebody else is, you know, somebody else is in control. You're just, you're just taking advantage of you're just a mealy mouth, little person, milk toast or whatever. It's not that. In Scripture, humility is, in fact, one of the greatest treasures of all. And humility is, is this idea of strength under control. But it's not only that, it's not seeing yourself as worthless. It's seeing, some, it's seeing God as He truly is. And in relationship to that, you're kind of like, ah. It's kind of like recognizing the power of something. You ever been tackled by a wave when you're trying to swim or surf or scuba or anything like that? You feel the power of that thing. It's, there's a respect that comes with that. It's kind of like... There's an awe that's kind of like, uh, don't want to mess with that, that sense of, I know what I'm dealing with here, and I have such utter respect. Not only that, not only is it just a force of nature, you are good to your very core, God. You are good. You are loving. You are merciful. All the things she says, and because she recognized this, humility is the next response, which is basically like, and I'm in for whatever you want. I'm in. Here's what I take from this. So here's what I would say. And I believe this more than any other quality of life. Humility opens the door. Humility opens the door to God's favor in your life. Humility opens the door to joy. Humility opens the door to God's activity. Because when we come, when we come to God and we humbly say, God, I need you. Right now, I, my, my attitude is out of control. I want to hurt somebody over a package. God, 
I'm going to be preaching this Sunday, and one of these people is going to show up, so i got to keep my mouth shut. But would you do something? No, it's humbly to saying, God, I'm not in charge. And you know what? I'm having a hard time controlling myself. Would you help me? You can do it. It's saying, God, my marriage may be challenged right now. My kids are going the wrong direction. Maybe I've blown it in a personal way in some situation that I feel really ashamed about. Maybe I've made mistakes and I'm not proud of them. Maybe, you know, everyone else has given up on me. But God, you can put things back together. You can put the, the pieces of my marriage and family. You can, you can guide me. I can't do this, but you can. I need your help. And basically, this is what humility is. It's just recognizing your picture and your place in the, in the story and saying, God, it's all about you. I know it and I need you. And I'm here to receive from you. I think that the humble spirit that gives... God blesses more than anything else. It, it's this idea that, God, I just know who I am under you. I know that I'm not great at everything. Know, I know I'm a sinner. I know that I've failed. But, man, you're so good. I just delight. I just find so much joy. I found so much healing. I find so much hope. I, found, I find so much. I just this is awareness how good you are when I come and worship you. Challenge with humility is this. Not something we actually... Pursue. It's not even something we think about pursuing. I mean, it's, it's one of those things that really, who's interested in acquiring humility? Is that, is that something that you are in pursuit of? If you went to Barnes & Nobles right now and you were to go to the self-help section, chances are you'd find a ton of books on how to be rich, how to be successful, how to get control of this or to control that, how to make this happen or that happen in your life. But what you will not find, you could look all day long, it's not going to be a bestseller, is how do I be humble? How to attain humility. How to discover who I really am in, in, the, in perspective of who God is. But if you want the favor of God, if you want the blessing of God, if you want the joy that comes, in, in no matter what our circumstances, humility is what invite God's, invites God's blessing. Here's where I find this. It's throughout Scripture. Just a couple real quick. Psalms 18. You save the humble, but bring low those whose eyes are haughty. Proverbs 3. God treats the arrogant as they treat others, mocking the mockers, scorning the scornful, but he pours grace. He pours his grace all over. The God is just in heaven just like pouring out grace on the humble. Isaiah, this is God speaking to the prophet. The people I treasure most, he said, are the humble. They depend only on me and tremble when I speak. Remember that reverence, that awe? James 4, humble yourselves. So it's a choice. We get to do this if we want to. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he, he will lift. You don't have to lift yourself up. He'll raise you. Again and again, God promises, humble yourself before me. I'm going to use you greatly. Quit acting like you have it all figured out, and I'm going to show you the steps to take. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on what you know and can figure out. In all your ways, acknowledge me, and I'm going to place the stones so you can find your way. Call on me. Let me work. I'm going to show up. I can do the impossible. So Mary demonstrates this humble spirit. God, I, I don't even know what to say. Why you would choose me of all the women? I don't know. I'm the Lord's servant, she says. I'm the Lord's servant. <clears throat> May it be to me as you have said. I am the Lord's servant. And you know the word in the Greek? The, the, the Greek word actually can be translated slave, but the translators didn't want to use it, I think, because it could sound a little too like, oh, that's a horrible word. Who wants to hear that? But she's saying, Lord, literally, I am 
I want literally my, everything about me just to be owned by you are so good. I would trust you with everything in my life. Everything. There's not a single thing I would not entrust to you. You want that for me so much. I love that. The primary posture of a humble person is of, of a servant. God, I'm here to serve whatever you want. So this Christmas, the heart of God wants to bless is the heart of humility. And one, one thing that we can do is, man, we just need some time, some time just to sit and reflect on how good God is, how loving, how great, how massive, how powerful, and yet how merciful and graceful, gracious he is when we say, I'm the Lord's servant. Let what you want be what I want. So the next one, she had a tremendous focus. Mary had this incredible focus. Not only did she have the humble heart, but then she had this incredible energy towards one thing. Read it. We read it in Matthew, I'm sorry, Luke 46, 146. Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit magnifies. I, I magnify. My spirit rejoices. I find joy in God, my Savior. Now, to magnify in the Greek, it's to deem or declare to be great. It's to esteem highly, to extol, to laud, to celebrate. So Mary is saying, I declare, I deem and declare the Lord is the greatest. I esteem God's opinion as the highest. I, I know what other people are going to say, what's going on in my but I, I don't care. His opinion matters more. She celebrates what he's doing the loudest. She bursts out with song. Notice what Mary doesn't do. Notice what she doesn't do. She does not magnify her problems. She doesn't magnify. She doesn't even speak about the fact that I don't know what my mom's going to say. My dad is going to lock me up for the rest of my... I mean, I don't know what the neighbors... I'm like, what, what's going to happen? She doesn't magnify her problems. She magnifies God. God is up to something in the middle of my ordinary life. God is up to something. I, I can choose to be a part of it. I'm going to draw the attention to you. Kept her, her attention on God. I'm going to read... Just a part of Mary's song. <clears throat> I'm going to change the grammar a little bit. See if you can notice a little slight difference. I, Mary, have performed mighty deeds. I've scattered the proud. I've brought down the rulers. I've lifted the humble. I have filled the hungry. I have sent away the rich. I have helped Israel. I have remembered to be merciful. Anybody pick up the slight change? The word Mary. Because it's not in there. It's like you have done this. It's not about Mary at all. In fact, it's her song. How many people write songs that they don't even talk about themselves except for the fact that you have done such an incredible thing to me? I can't help but respond. She, this was her one chance to go on record and have her song repeated throughout all time, and yet she chooses. I'm not going to sing. This isn't about me. This is about you. It's incredible. I mean, in her little paragraph, her little song, think about this. Nine times she says the, word, the pronoun he. He, God, it's about six times she used the pronoun his, he and his. Fifteen times in this one little paragraph, she said, it's all about you. It's all about you. It's all about you. My eyes are on you. I'm thinking about you. I'm reflecting on you. I'm looking at you. It's, it's Mary's song, but it's not about her. This is something I think is so powerful. My soul, praise the Lord. My spirit just takes joy. My, my spirit takes joy in you. She's rejoicing. She's praising. She's magnifying God because she has a good God. See, there's one thing about it. If God is big and you fear him, well, that's the beginning of wisdom. But if God is good and you love him, that's the beginning of a relationship. That's where it begins. And folks, you've got to have both. You've got to respect and understand who he is, that he's the judge and creator of all things. 
Yep, you're going to stand before him, and yep, he has all the power, has all the say. But he's so loving that he wouldn't allow one to be lost. He sent the shepherd after the one and left the 99. He's pursuing us. He's rejoicing because that's the kind of God he is. My soul magnifies. My soul zooms in. My soul makes great. Think of the way we, we all magnify something all the time. We're always magnifying something. Right now, you have magnifiers on. Everybody's soul magnifies something. That's part of human nature. To magnify something is to give it extraordinarily large places in our lives. To zoom in on something. To give it a, a real big space in our life. <clears throat> so, when your mind wanders... You magnify something. You go to some place. Where do you go when your mind is free to just roam? Where does it go? When you have nothing else to think about, what do you think about? What are your desires <clears throat> surround? Where is your identity tied in? Your joys and sorrows all wrapped around something. When you get more or less of something, what is it that you want? Mary's saying, man, I, I want more of you. I want to get. I want to get it. I want to. Not only do I want to get it, I want to do it. Whatever it is you want me to, I want to be in. Part of the human condition, we magnify something. Alcoholics magnify alcohol. Workaholics magnify success. Hypochondriac magnifies their illness or the desire for health. Uh, catastrophizers worry about everything. Magnify worry, problems, obstacles, things that could go wrong. Some people magnify money, some people magnify sex, some people magnify possessions, approval, security. I mean, we all magnify something. Mary magnified God, her God. And I just want to ask you, are, are you magnifying something great, worthy of your magnification? Are you really zooming in on something? Is your attention really riveted to something worthy? Because I'm telling you, what you feel and express and what you're giving out to the world it comes directly from what you're riveted to, what you magnify. For me, I'm just to be honest, in that moment, I was magnifying the frustration of having to work in a system that doesn't work. And again, no one person is responsible. My, my friends and family, everybody knows, I love people, I'm, I'm just crazy about helping people find full life. Um, and I, but I am just so human that I'm like, God, please help me. If my attention is, in my, if I'm zoomed in on the problem, I start wanting to fix everybody and fix everything and command. And the problem, you know what the really funny thing about that is? I can't even fix myself. I can't even fix my car. I can't, I can't even fix the problems in my own life. And yet, man, if, give me a chance. I'm going to fix somebody else. Log in the eye kind of thing. What are you magnifying? <clears throat> What's your confidence in? Best definition, I, I think, to magnify God comes from Dallas Willard. He said, it... This is what it means to magnify God. It means to live in such a way that when people look at your life, they say, what a good God God must be to think of somebody like you. Man, when I look at you, I just, I got to say, man, there has got to be something really good because I don't know too many people like you. There's something really special about you. There must be a really good God. And what a good God God is to just come up with you. And I challenge you as you approach Christmas to have that kind of focus. What a great God God must be have created me to experience joy to share it so when i left the post office um when i was chase didn't dare speak i think for a little while we just because we got there and everything you know i as i'm working i'm literally just thinking god where did i get off track i'm talking about joy this week and i'm not feeling it not only not feeling it um i i want to hurt somebody it's worse than not feeling it i'm feeling the opposite 
I'm not anything like you right now, so God, what do I do? And it's one of those times that I literally got to reframe. I literally had to magnify. I had to turn my attention. I had to zoom in on the things that I know about God and what's going on in the bigger picture, which brings us to the final thing. Mary understood the story she was in. She understood what God was up to. There's something bigger than you. There's something bigger than all of us. And God is saying, I'm going to make you a part of it. Mary entered the story in a very un- just an unusual way. But what she was saying was, God, I'm in for whatever you're up to. And then she tells us what that was all about. God, what you're doing, you're doing something crazy in the world. You're doing what you had set out to do. You said, you've said it all along through prophets and through the leaders of the, the movement. You said you were going to do something. You were going to turn everything back around. Everything is upside down in the world. Could you? I mean, the world is just crazy. You're going to fix it. And the yearning in everybody's heart, I know it's in your heart, it's in my heart. When we see a broken thing, we see a broken person, we see a broken system, we see, we see things, people being abused, we see power misused, we see governments out of control, and we see tax dollars wasted, we see all of these things, and we're just like, fix it. God, I want it to be fixed. I want it to be fixed so bad. I see the poor taking advantage of. I see the needy going from bus stop to bus stop. They can't afford cars because we have other people taking advantage of systems. And they just, God, there's so many ways things are broken. People have choices, yes, but there's so many things systemically broken about our system. God, fix it. You ever been in a situation where you're just kind of like, God, please, oh my gosh, please do something. That's the cry of the human heart, and Mary's saying God is answering that. He's doing it right now, and the birth of Jesus is the beginning of the breaking in of the inverted kingdom. That's what Dallas Willard called the inverted kingdom, where the greatest are the least, and the least uh, are the greatest. Where the power structure shifts, where the center of gravity changes, where what we treasure and value and put so high on the pedestal is absolutely revealed for what it is, empty. And then the things of God get elevated to the place where they should be. And truth and justice and kindness and love and mercy are take the front row. God is reversing everything. She said he's bringing down rulers. He's lifting up the poor and the needy. He's providing for the hungry. For if you hunger, man, God's going to provide for that. If your heart yearns for things to be made right, God is going to answer that. What God is doing right now through Jesus, through this child, he is bringing the kingdom. He's starting the rule and the reign of God on earth. It's returning. It's renewing. It's beginning. He's mindful of this humble place that she's in, but she's also mindful of the story she's in. I'm a part of this. Joy just comes out of it, man. When you get the perspective of how important you are actually to God, man, when you're loved, doesn't it just feel incredible? When somebody reveals to you that they kind of have a crush on you, not you married people, but the other people. Back when it happened, you, it was like, man, it's the most incredible thing. Like, really? Oh, my gosh. You're always surprised if somebody really falls in love with you. I was like, really, me? But unless you don't, some of you think everybody's in love with you. But when, when it's that feeling like, oh, my gosh, how lucky am I? I mean, who, who, that's so cool. God is reversing everything, and God's saying, I'm looking at you. My focus, my gaze is on you. I'm magnifying you. I want to lift you up. I want to take the poor, the needy, the broken, the overlooked, the oppressed. I want to take all the, I want to lift you up. I want to bless you. I want to just pour out my grace and goodness to you. And all of those who took advantage of you and all those who, who just wasted their energy and life and resources on themselves and did nothing to better the world around them, well, woe to them. They're going to be walking away empty. God's not against wealth, by the way. It's not the passage like, oh, all the rich people get turned away from heaven. Ha, ha, ha. No, that's not it. Because as Americans, you live in the top 30% of the world. You are the wealthy. Just saying. 
So I don't want you to be turned away. I still, and, and it's not about wealth. It's about the distribution and the use of the resources God gives us. And it's like, wow, I want to be a part of this. The great inversion begins. And as I wrap up, man, there was a rabbi who comes on the scene just a couple chapters later. Maybe you've heard of him. And he begins saying things like, blessed are the poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who are like beat up and bullied because of your trust in God when everything else says don't trust. You are the ones who are going to inherit all the great things of God. Man, this is the story you're in. Are you in? Are you in? And that, you may recognize the words of that particular rabbi. It was actually the son whom she is now celebrating in song who comes to the world and begins to redeem and renew and start this whole thing, reconciling it to God. Little Mary says... God is turning everything right side up. It's the law of inversion, and it begins now. And I just want to say as I close, right now God is in the, he's in the process of inverting things in our lives. Right now the kingdom of heaven is breaking in, and one of the reasons we don't experience joy sometimes is because the focus is on us and the attention is on us, and we don't remember the story we're in. If you remember how great God is and what's really going on in the world, this is the thing that brings me back to patience. And as I'm sitting at the light with somebody sitting at a green in front of me, I mean it, it literally, when I keep it in mind, I can handle the postal people not wanting to bring my boxes. I can get my arms around the fact these first world problems are nothing. When I realize what God is up to and that every single person, every single person behind that counter, on this side of the counter, every single person driving or not driving, God sent his son to die for them. He's bringing them back to him. That's the story I'm in. I get to be a bearer, a messenger, a witness of that. And I want to be good at my job. So as you and I focus, as the band comes, and we kind of focus in as we, as we zoom in on something today. Humility is the heart that God is looking to just pour his blessings on. Recognizing who you are and who you're not. And then just owning it. Taking it to God. That's where confessing our sins comes in. It's humility. It's just saying, God, I am screwed up, and I did these things. You said not to do. I did them. I own it. I, I don't have anywhere to hide. I mean, you're God. You saw it anyway. It wasn't even a hidden cam. I mean, you're just right there with me. You saw it. I own it. And I not only say I'm sorry. I want to change. I want to change. Humility is owning it and just stepping in with joy. Then the next part is focusing in and saying, God, but what I see about you, what I hear about you, what I know about you is you are so good and so loving and so merciful that you renew my heart, and I ask you to. And then not only that, but the story I'm in means that I now take the grace and mercy of God. I now take this incredible good news, and I begin to broadcast it. I begin to share it. I begin to, and if there's a person who needs resource and I have resources, then I share it. If there's a person who's downtrodden or oppressed or taken advantage of, then I do something about it. When it's in my power, in my reach, I go to Grace Resource, or I go, give to the foster party, or I take care of something, the next-door neighbor, the person who's got, you know, going through a hard time financially. I do that, take somebody's trash out of it, whatever. I'm like, I'm looking for ways because I realize the story I'm in. The great inversion has begun. I'm invited. I can participate, or I can sit on the sidelines and watch somebody else step up and enjoy the joy of God. I just want to invite you to be that person. So as we pray, as we close, I just want you to bow your heads with me, and, and let's just take it to God before we go. Let's take a moment to reflect. Dear Heavenly Father, I want to be that person that experiences joy in the middle of chaos.
I, I recognize and I own it. God, that's not typically me when the things aren't going my way. I, I can get frustrated. I'm like a little kid. And God, I just own that. I've come miles from where I was, but God, I, I still want to be more of that. I think everybody in this room is just kind of exposed at some point and just say, God, I, I am who I am and I own it. And I just, I want to bring myself before you in respect and awe and fear and, and humility. But I also want to keep in mind how incredibly good and gracious and loving you are. So God, I just invite you right now to speak to me, to guide me, to cleanse me, to forgive me, to make me new. And if that's you, if you're in this room and you're like, man, I want to be a part of that. Just your prayer today, just right out of your own story, just pray and ask him for it. What is it? Forgiveness for sins? You want new life? You want to begin to, a relationship with God that just goes on forever? You want to see more of God's activity in your life? You want, to, you want to trust him more with your circumstances? You want to learn to focus? Then just take it to him. Ask him for it right now. Believe he's going to give it to you. God, you see all of our hearts for those who are asking for forgiveness and want to start a relationship. Do that today, Lord. Give them the faith. Give them the understanding. And lead them in. For those who want healing for broken place, for those who want understanding for what you're doing, God, I just pray you give us each what we need. So joy, so joy and rejoicing can be a part of this Christmas. That's our prayer. In Jesus' name. Hey, stand with me. We're going to sing one last song. We have one more week of our series, so stand with me. Let's worship together before we go.